The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks trying to kick off a new week in the green as the appetite for risk appears to be waning. Futures are higher. Investors also paying close attention to the Middle East as the U.S. sends a second carrier group to the region to try to stop a broader military conflict. Then on Wall Street, the focus continues to be earnings as more big banks in tech get ready to report. We do have your setup right here on WEX. Plus, pharma stocks, they're getting rocked after a new warning from one major player. And then later in the show, how Ferrari is brushing off the chill from the 2023 crypto winner. It is Monday, October the 16th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Hope you had a great weekend. Let's get you ready to start this trading week. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures with the S&P riding a two-week win streak. Taking a look right now, you can see futures are in the green across the board. The Dow looks like it would open up just about 90 points higher. The S&P up just about a quarter of a percent, just under there. The Nasdaq up fractionally. So speaking of the Nasdaq, we're keeping a close eye on tech with the sector coming off its first down day in the last eight. Take a look for the month up just about one and a half percent. But again, you can see that downturn from that down day we were just talking about. Um, It closed down more than one percent on Friday. We're also checking the bond market this morning, as always, begin with the benchmark 10 year yield on the 10 year right now at four point six eight off of its high of this month of four point eight oh down about 20 basis points or so. Important to note right now, the two year note back above five percent on yield trading at its highest level since about 2007. The long bond, the 30 year trading at its highest level since about 2010. Remember, this is a read on inflation expectations and investor confidence. And it's not just treasuries right now. Investors, they're also looking at gold. Take a look. Coming off its best day of the year on Friday. Right now, you can see it's uh, down in the pre-market, down almost 1%, but for the month, up over 3%. You see that big jump on Friday right there we were just referring to. And also, last but certainly not least, energy, oil coming off its best day since April. Take a look. WTI right now trading at 87.37 a barrel, down just about a third of a percent. Brent crude down about a half a percent at 90.42 a barrel. Natural gas, hardest hit this morning, down over 2 percent. All right, that's your setup for the U.S. markets. Let's now see how Europe is shaping up as this trading day gets underway. Our Germana Bersetti is in our London newsroom with much more on the early action overseas. Germana, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, risk-off sentiment is prevailing. You can see it very clearly with all of these Asian markets behind me. The Nikkei 225 in Japan down 2%, taking their cue from the Nasdaq on Friday. We saw big declines in some of the chip makers, some of those tech stocks within the Nikkei coming under selling pressure. The Hang Seng uh, relatively uh, versus the Nikkei, obviously not as bad, but still down about 1% as well. And the Shanghai Composite within China also pulling back some of the gains as well that we had earlier on in the session. So negative across the 
board as a handover to European markets. But just in the last half an hour, you'll see within Europe, we have actually started to tip slightly more positive. The FTSE 100 in the UK up about a tenth of a percent, here being led by some of the oil and energy names, so uh, the likes of uh, BP and Shell doing quite well in the FTSE 100 index. The mining names like Glencore also seeing some positivity in light of what's happening with the commodity space. But more broadly speaking, within Europe, these indices are coming under selling pressure. The Zetradax down about two-tenths of a percent. Kekahon's also down a similar amount. A particular focus as well on some of those vaccine makers. Uh, BioNTech is one of the ones that is in focus. This after Pfizer issued a warning on Friday about uh, their guidance for the sales of vaccines going uh, looking into, into the second uh, half of the year. And so this is having a knock-on effect on that particular part of the market. Healthcare is being pulled lower today. All right, Jumana, thank you very much. Our Jumana Brissetti, live in our London newsroom. Time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs is here with those. Bertha, good morning. Hey, good morning, Frank. I'm going to pick up where uh, Jamana left off. Shares of Pfizer are under pressure ahead of the open. The company is slashing its full year sales and earnings guidance, blaming falling COVID product demand. Pfizer now expects 2023 sales to come in between 58 and 61 billion dollars, down from uh, about 67 to 70 billion. Pfizer's warning dragging down industry peers, Moderna and Novavax. Pfizer does have a call with investors scheduled for 8 a.m. Eastern time this morning. Sticking with healthcare, U.S. pharmacy chain Rite Aid is filing for bankruptcy. It's not a surprise at this stage. The company is in a process of obtaining nearly three and a half billion dollars in new financing. It is also saying that it has secured a a restructuring deal with its major bondholders. Rite Aid has more than $3 billion in outstanding debt, and its market cap is below $100 million. And shares of Lululemon are popping on news that it is set to join the S&P 500 index this week. The stock will be replacing Activision Blizzard now that global regulators have signed off on Microsoft's $69 billion deal for that company. The change is set to take effect on Wednesday before the market open. And given that Lululemon pants have become a uniform for a lot of folks on Wall Street, Frank, it seems pretty apt for them to join this week. Yeah, you know, not surprising. Stock up big right now, Bertha. I think a lot of our colleagues, uh, they're wearing Lululemon pants almost every day. I do think they're pretty comfortable, too, but we're in a suit. All right, our Bertha Coombs, we'll see you later on the show. All right, turn our attention now to Washington, D.C., and House Republicans getting back to work to try to unify and elect a new House Speaker. NBC's Bree Jackson joins me now. Bree, good morning. It's been almost two weeks since Kevin McCarthy was sent packing. Yeah, that's right. Good morning, Frank. So Congress begins another week without an elected Speaker of the House. Both the Republicans and Democrats are expected to hold meetings on Capitol Hill tonight. And we could see a vote for House Speaker as soon as Tuesday. That's according to the House Democratic Whip, Whip Catherine Clark, who says that Republicans are planning to hold the election tomorrow at noon. However, it is still unclear if the GOP nominee, Jim Jordan, has even rallied enough support to get the 217 votes he needs to secure the job. When Jordan was nominated on Friday, more than 50 members of his party said that they would not support him. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries said informal talks have been underway to try and find 
bipartisan solutions to the speaker debate or the speaker fight. He says that Democrats want to see rule changes in the House as part of a potential deal. However, Jeffries also said that Democrats had not yet identified any specific Republican uh, that the Democrats would back. Now, the pressure is on for the House to select a speaker as federal funding expires in mid-November. So there's a risk of a government shutdown that could happen. Yeah, a lot of talk about this down in D.C. As a matter of fact, uh, the leader on the Democratic side, Hakeem Jeffries, on Meet the Press yesterday talking a lot about this. Any sense of how the Democrats may play a part in these all, in these discussions, if at all? Well, it comes down to uh, whether or not a deal can be made. Hakeem Jeffries talked about a potential deal. Uh, he talked about possibly uh, there being some rule changes. He says that, uh, dem- you know, priorities that are key to Democrats. He wants to make sure that those get a vote. And he also wants to make sure, in his words, uh, that MAGA extremists don't have uh, such a large say uh, in what happens in the House. Uh, but uh, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, excuse me, has also made it clear that uh, this isn't necessarily on the hands of Democrats. It's Republicans uh, who have to come and unite behind a, a, a leader of their party. Yeah, absolutely. We'll continue to watch all the developments down there in D.C. Bree Jackson, live in D.C. for us. Bree, thank you very much. All right, we have a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, much more on the war between Israel and Hamas and what could turn into a global economic crisis. We have an exclusive interview with U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. That is coming up. Plus, why investors, they may want to look past the big banks and on to tech earnings as earnings season rolls on. And then later, we're taking action following some EV demand shortfalls. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We're going to turn back to that developing story, the war in the Middle East, now in its 10th day. Officials in the region confirming this morning the border crossing between Gaza and Egypt is now open for humanitarian aid and the evacuation of foreign nationals. This is the U.S. steps up its military presence in the region and its support for Israel. President Biden warning on 60 Minutes last night he's looking to avoid the conflict spreading beyond Gaza and is reportedly weighing a trip to Israel. NBC's Jay Gray, he joins me now live from Tel Aviv with much more on the story. Jay, what's the latest? 
Frank, and, and we're in an open-air market here in downtown Tel Aviv, one that would normally be teeming, so packed with people it would be tough to walk around. You can see the uneasy tension that has gripped this city right now overnight, uh, the Iron Dome doing its job protecting this city from uh, several aerial assaults, uh, and, and again, people here on edge constantly. Some of these shops open and, and not doing much business as you can see, but if you look across, some of the vendors have just decided it's not even worth opening up, so they don't even uh, put their wares out, not uh, doing anything, because they know uh, that the families that normally would fill this market at this time midday on a Monday uh, are just not going to be here. And again, uh, what you hear from locals is that traditionally this area, Monday through Thursday, just packed with people, tough to get around. Uh, it's been slow since the, the war began. R.J. Gray, live in Tel Aviv. Jay, thank you very much. All right, well, it's not just Mideast tensions that are weighing on investor sentiment. Wall Street set for another busy week with a focus on a flurry of Fed speakers. More than a half a dozen central bank chiefs and other officials are scheduled to give speeches starting tomorrow through the end of the week. The remarks coming on the back of recent and growing Fed commentary making another rate hike seem less likely. The expectations the Fed keeps rates unchanged at its next policy meeting, it's hovering right now at nearly 99%. For more, let's bring in Janet Moy, head of market analysis at RBC Bruin Dolphin. Janet, good morning. It is great to have you here. Hi, good morning, Frank. Thanks for having me. All right. So the consensus on Wall Street, at least here in the U.S., is that there will not be a rate hike at the next meeting when the Fed meets in just about 16 days. Do you agree with this assessment right now? And how do you think that's impacting the markets? Uh, yeah, I think there's a high chance the Fed will not move because from the recent speeches, they are pretty concerned about the rise in the yields right now. And also, uh, inflation is actually moving in the right direction. So I think uh, it, it is worth being patient. But of course, we cannot rule out the potential of another rate hike, because that is what they put into the dodgeball. And so far, they have done what they uh, guided the market. Um, so I think, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But anyway, we think we are close to the end of the rate hiking cycle in the U.S. and other major central banks. All right. So you think we're close to the rate hiking end of the rate hiking cycle, but you're also looking at inflation here in the U.S., specifically the two reports last week, CPI and PPI coming in a bit hotter. And that's pointing you to invest in tips, 10 year Treasury tips, Treasury inflation protected securities. Um, why right now in your mind? And why is that more uh, attractive than equities in this environment? Yeah, so uh, because of the recent sharp move in the yields, we actually took advantage and added to U.K. government bonds as well as uh, global inflation-linked bonds uh, like TIPS. So the thing is, uh, the TIP yields have actually risen to the highest level since uh, the global financial crisis. So we, we find that is pretty attractive. And uh, the U.S. TIP yield is, uh, the, the absolute level is, is high. And on a relative basis, for example, versus the U.K. is more attractive as well. And also inflation expectation could be picked up. Uh, we also saw from the University of Michigan Consumer Confidence Survey that Inflation expectations from consumers have picked up in both the near term and the longer term measure as well. So I think with the higher oil prices and more volatility in that energy market, we think that that could be potential for higher inflation expectations. So we find that the inflation linked bonds are more attractive in that in that environment. So, so just to be clear, you think that oil prices continue to move higher? Is that on geopolitical tensions or is there some other reason you see oil prices moving higher? Um, so I think it's the constraint in supply that generally would push up oil prices. But of course, that layer of geopolitical tension adds further upside risk. And as we saw uh, over the weekend, oil prices have moved 
much higher. Although we don't think that we're back to that 1970 uh, environment, uh, but that the risk is building uh, of higher oil prices because there could be potential escalation. Although uh, many officials are trying to diplomatically de-escalate the situations, but overall the risk is higher rather than lower. All right, Janet Moy from RBC Brew and Dolphin. Always great to see you. Thank you very much. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, why winter may not be coming when it comes to IT spending. Gartner's next with an exclusive look at their 2024 forecast. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. This morning, Gartner's out with its 2024 IT spending forecast. And despite higher interest rates, ongoing fears of a global recession next year, and rampant inflation, companies are, looked to set, are, are set to spend in a very big way. John Lovelock is Gartner's chief forecaster. He joins me now with a look at the report, an exclusive first look. John, it's great to have you here. Thanks for the first look. Frank, great to be here, Frank. Good to see you again. All right. So I know you're going to unveil this to about 8,000 uh, CIOs and IT professionals later today, but glad to get this first look. One thing that popped out to me is that global IT spending is going to cross the $5 trillion mark for the first time this year. Give us a sense. How big of a factor is AI in this increase in spending and how does the higher for longer situation we're in, how does that impact spending? You know, we, we are in a very conflated situation right now geopolitically as you said the interest rates are high inflation is high but that doesn't seem to be affecting it spending overall enterprise it spending is you know recession proof we've seen that in countries that have gone through recessions like brazil and turkey and argentina still growing it we cross the five trillion dollar barrier we're going to actually add two trillion dollars worth of it spending in the next four years and AI is a part of that. Our total spending on AI will cross $3 trillion between now and 2027. So it's a big portion of what's going forward. But there are many other factors driving. All right. So a number of other factors drive. I want to stick with the AI theme just for a minute. As you mentioned, it's a big part of what's going to be going on forward. Taking a look at data center growth, nearly doubling year over year, assuming that's part of the AI push software, though. That's pretty interesting. A trillion dollar area of spending seeing double digit growth. How much is this? How much of this is AI when it comes to the data centers? How much is it is just public cloud workloads moving towards the cloud away from on-prem? Well, spending does tend to new spending does tend to skew towards the cloud. Um, on-prem isn't going away. We're still spending enough on data centers, servers, networking equipment, our licensed software to keep the on-prem environments about the size that they are now. Slowly increasing, certainly, but new spend tends to skew towards cloud. Security tends to skew towards cloud. Cybersecurity, is that this, what you're talking about there? I'm sorry? Are you talking about cybersecurity or just... Cybersecurity, okay. yes. Um, so the security spending that is going on does tend to start in the cloud environments now more than the on-prem environments. We're trying to get security outside of our four walls before they get anywhere near our systems. And... 
AI has actually added a new level of concern around security as AI systems are seen as something that could aid hackers in getting at our data. Right. So CIOs more more interested in in security and the security spending and getting into new areas so that they can ensure that their systems are wrapped before hackers get anywhere near their sensitive data. Got it. Let's talk about device spending. So this year we actually saw a decline in device spending, but it ramps back up next year. When we talk about device spending, is AI changing what we mean by devices? I've heard a number of CEOs, for example, the CEO of Dell, the CEO of HP Inc., talk about how AI is going to completely transform the PCA experience. It's certainly going to tra- transform the experience, but it's not necessarily going to transform the devices. Uh, inflation's hardest hit has been, of course, on consumer purchasing power. And as consumers lost purchasing power, they deferred spending away from luxury items like tech. And we've had a couple of years of decline. Next year is our first year of ramping back up, which is great. But we don't get back to 2021 spending levels until 2027. The devices themselves aren't really going to change much for AI. They're going to continue to get more powerful, a few more features added. But there's nothing right now that's driving consumers or enterprises to reinvest in devices. And in fact, they're able to hold them for longer which has kept the device market a little bit uh, depressed. In fact, it's one of the few line items in our IT spending forecast that's not buoying up growth. All right. Well, thank you for the sneak peek. John Lovelock from Gartner. We've got the Gartner IT Symposium coming up later today in Orlando, Florida. Appreciate the look at that data. You have a great day. All right. Straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, we have a CNBC exclusive with U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. we got much more WAX coming up after this. Stay with us. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Stocks are looking to keep up their recent momentum after the S&P notches its second straight week of gains. Futures suggesting a higher start to the new trading week. Also, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen out with fresh comments this morning, weighing in on the Israel-Hamas war and other global flashpoints. Her remarks in just a moment. And a reported proxy battle taking shape at News Corp as an activist investor looks to shake up the media giant. It is Monday, October the 16th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. Taking a look right now, we're seeing the Dow pretty much where it was earlier today, looking like it'd open up about 90, 95 points higher right now. In, a, in general, a strong start to the morning, at least now. As always, we say it is early. Taking a look at the bond market, as always, we begin with the benchmark 10-year yield at 468 down from its highs of earlier this month, down about 20 basis points. Also taking a look at the two-year Trading at its highest level since about 2007, yield back above 5%. The 30-year bond trading at its highest level since about 2010. Remember, this is a read on investor confidence and also inflation expectations. We also want to take a look at the energy market, specifically oil. Taking a look, WTI, the U.S. benchmark at 87.56, down fractionally. Brent crude at 90.60, down a third of a percent. Natural gas, the hardest hit. Back to WTI in the oil market. WTI coming off its best week since early September, with Brent seeing its biggest weekly gains since February. And as we mentioned right now, all three are in a decline. All right, time now to get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs is back with those. Bertha, over to you. Thanks, Frank. 
Ford is temporarily cutting shifts at its plant in Michigan where it's building the electric F-150 Lightning pickup truck. The Wall Street Journal is citing union officials who say Ford is considering canceling the shifts due to slowing demand for EVs. So the automaker is looking to build more gas-powered trucks instead. In a statement, Ford says the cuts are linked to several issues, including supply chain problems, adding that they are not related to the UAW strike. It hasn't said how long the production cut will last. The lightning accounts for about 2% of all Ford F-Series sales. Albemarle is scrapping a more than $4 billion takeover offer of lithium miner Liontown Resources. The company says completing the deal became more difficult after Australian billionaire Gina Reinhart uh, announced last week her firm had built a nearly 20% stake in Liontown. Albemarle's decision comes after it asked for an extra week to look at Liontown's books. And Starboard Value has reportedly built a stake in News Corp. The size is unclear, but the Wall Street Journal and Reuters are reporting that Starboard plans to push for changes. It includes spinning off News Corp's online real estate unit and doing away with the company's dual-class share structure. That gives the Murdoch family outsized voting power in News Corp. Frank? All right, Bertha, thank you very much. Taking a look at shares of News Corp. They're up fractionally this morning. All right, turn our attention back to earnings. Big banks, they may be making the headlines during earnings season so far, but when it comes to market influence, it's really all about big tech and, of course, the Magnificent Seven, accounting for more than 30% of the S&P 500's $36.2 trillion market cap. While the group's earnings outlook is a bit better than the broader market, its wall of worry is pretty daunting. Rising rates, costly AI investments, demand concerns, and much more casting a pretty big shadow. And it all starts with Netflix and Tesla, both reporting later this week. Joining me now with his outlook is Stefan Slowinski, Global Head of Software Research at BNP Paribas Exane. Stefan, it's great to have you here in studio. Great, thanks. Thanks, all Frank. Right. Let's start with the big ones, the big hyperscalers. We're talking Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. You just actually put out a new note today with new ratings and new price targets. What's your top pick in the group? Yeah, so Frank, next week we have uh, Alphabet, Amazon, Microsoft, all with their um, September quarter results. Our top pick is, is Alphabet, so, and it remains so. Um, these stocks have all done well this year. Microsoft up 35%, Amazon 50 uh, Alphabet 55%. Alphabet's the one where valuation's still quite reasonable. Um, you're trading on about 18 times uh, PE for 2024 X cash. Okay. Um, and so that's still our top pick out of those top three hyperscalers. And what's the price target? Alphabet trading right now at about 137 Yeah, our price target's $163. So you see considerable more upside over the next 12 months. What's, what's the catalyst for that? So one thing about these three companies, they're the leaders when it comes to cloud computing globally, taking a look. Uh, AWS, Amazon has about 36 percent. Microsoft with Azure, about 22 percent. Google Cloud, just about 12 percent of the share when it comes to the public cloud right now. What's the catalyst specifically for Google to move higher? Yeah, so for Google, there's a couple of things. First of all, the results next week. So um, we are 2 percent ahead of consensus on revenues. Um, for, for the Q3 results. That really is driven by three things. One is the, the core advertising business. We expect a 1% beat. Search continues to, to take share, we think. Um, secondly, that, that, that other business, which we don't talk about as much, but uh, YouTube Premium, uh, YouTube TV. Oh, just that. We had some price increases <laughs> coming through there. 
Um, and, and so that's going to help the quarter. So we think actually they could you know, beat by almost 10 percent on that. You also have, of course, one month of the Sunday ticket. Um, and, and then third is Google Cloud, as you mentioned, which is the, the enterprise cloud computing business. Again, we expect a 2% beat there. We're 4 to 7% ahead of consensus the next okay. few years on Google Cloud. And importantly, we see the winning share there against AWS and Microsoft Azure as AI becomes a more important driver. You almost buried the lead there. All right. I, I want to look ahead to the rest of earnings season. Of course, yep. we have Netflix reporting later this week. Netflix, mega cap tech stock, not really influenced by AI, but also pretty volatile, uh, moves a lot on earnings. What are you expecting from Netflix? And do you see it having a big influence on the rest of the tech sector? Yeah, I mean, I don't cover Netflix personally. I, you know, I focus on the other software names. But I think overall for big tech earnings, I think numbers will be good. Um, you know, we continue to see demand as, as stable. Um, it's not improving. It's not deteriorating. But I'm not sure if they'll be good enough. And what I mean by that is Q4 is all going to be about 2024. So that's what investors are starting to look at is what's going to happen next year. So even though we think Q3 results will be OK, we think companies will still sort of hedge their bets a little bit about next year uh, because of the uncertain macro. So we may not get that confidence about next year that investors may be looking for just yet. All right. I want to talk to you about next year. Um, a lot of concerns about a possible recession. Again, they went away and now they've come back. Give us a sense. This year, we've actually seen tech companies spending more when we started the year. It was supposed to be like a year of efficiency. Is that over? What are investors focused on? Are they, are they focused on AI-centered growth or are they focused on efficiency? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. So Q1 was all about the year of efficiency. Q2 was all about Gen AI. Q3 was a bit of a digestion because those, <laughs> those, those Q1, Q2 drivers obviously drove these stocks to quite uh, to, to high levels of the year. Um, and so Q4, like I said, is going to be about 2024 and that outlook. Um, some companies like NVIDIA, like Microsoft with 365 Copilot becoming available on November 1st, are obvious early beneficiaries. Um, but what the market's trying to figure out with Gen AI is who's going to be next and how long is it going to be before we get those returns on those, those investments that are being made. All right. So you just mentioned uh, you cover a pretty broad universe of tech stocks. We we're showing some of them. You've been at a lot of different conferences for Salesforce, for Adobe, et cetera. Here's a question that I don't know if they're going to answer in those conferences, but I want to ask you. We're in a higher for longer environment. A lot of concerns about the 10-year possibly hitting 5%. Which one of these mega cap tech names is the most vulnerable to those higher rates? I mean, one of the names that we've turned a bit more cautious on is Microsoft. We downgraded to neutral a few months ago. Um, and, um, you know, I, I travel uh, across the U.S., across Europe, across the Middle East, talking to large institutional investors. And it remains the number one position in a lot of investors' portfolios, you know, sometimes close to 10 percent. And so with the investments Microsoft making, you only have about a two and a half, maybe three percent free cash flow yield right now. Now, that's a bit depressed, um, you know, because you have high CapEx and you're not quite yet getting the, uh, the returns from those investments. Um, but for, for sort of global investors who have other options, okay. they're looking at that two-year at 5 percent and saying, do I want that or do I want Microsoft the two and a half percent free cash flow yield? All right, Stefan Slowinski from BNP Paribas, Exane. Great to have you here. Philly guy, Philly guy on That's the left. That's right. All right, thank That's you right. again. All right, turn our attention now overseas. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's in Luxembourg this morning, meeting with her European counterparts. Yellen's trip coming at a critical time as global finance chiefs grapple with higher rates, continued inflation, and geopolitical tensions in the Middle East. Our Wilford Frost sat down with Secretary Yellen just a short time ago for an exclusive conversation and joins me now from Luxembourg, with much more. Wolf, good morning. 
Frank, a very uh, good morning to you indeed. And as you said, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, uh, is here in Luxembourg for the Economic and Financial Affairs Forum. Uh, I asked her whether America's support for Israel was conditional in any way, uh, given the unfolding humanitarian crisis in Gaza. And she said, America stands by Israel, period. She also said that the U.S. could absolutely afford to support two foreign wars, referring, of course, to the Ukraine as well uh, as the situation in Israel. As it relates to the latest war in the Middle East, she explained the impact it's having on the global economy. We're looking at the economic, potential economic implications um, of the hostilities here, although our main thoughts are with the Israeli people for what they've suffered. Um, I think it's too early to speculate on whether or not there will be significant consequences. I think, importantly, it depends on um, whether uh, the hostilities extend beyond Israel and Gaza. And that's certainly an outcome we would like to avoid. And, and are you and the, and the Treasury Department preparing for that eventuality and, and what it might do to the, the global economy if, if the conflict does broaden out in that way? Look, I think it's very early days and we're monitoring the situation at this point. Um, in terms of uh, what this all means, Paul Tudor Jones, the famed investor, was on CNBC this week and he said, this is the most threatening and challenging geopolitical environment that I've ever seen. At the same time, the U.S. is in its weakest fiscal position since World War II with debt to GDP at 122 percent. Can America, can the West afford another war at this time? I, I think the answer is absolutely. Um, America can certainly afford to stand with Israel and to support Israel's military needs. And we also can and must support Ukraine in its struggle against Russia. And look, the American economy is doing extremely well. Um, Inflation has been high, and it's been a concern to households. It's come down considerably. At the same time, we have about the strongest labor market we've seen in 50 years with 3.8% unemployment. Perhaps optimistically in the medium to long term for the global economy, when referring to the recently strained relationship between the U.S. and China, Secretary Yellen said that perhaps the flaw in that relationship was now in. We certainly have improved communication. We've set out clearly both to Americans and also to our to the Chinese a set of principles that we see as governing our relationship. And they are essentially these that, first of all, we will always protect our national security and take a stand against human rights abuses. That's non-negotiable. But with respect to national security, we will, um, our objective is not to harm progress in China. It is really oriented at national security. And we will try to design our, um, our interventions, uh, things like export controls, narrowly to keep them focused on real national security concerns. Second, we are not attempting to decouple 
uh, from China. We have a deep economic relationship, and that kind of competition, trade and investment, is beneficial to both sides, and we want an environment in which it can continue. And Frank, the secretary is now inside at the Economic and Financial Affairs Forum and uh, due to give public remarks at around 8 a.m. Eastern time. So, Wolf, really great interview. Clearly very broad range. I do want to ask you about one thing, turning back to the Israel-Hamas war. Did the secretary, did she address the possibility of Iran getting involved in this conflict? Yes, and we did also speak about that story over the weekend that uh, by reports according to CBS News, the U.S. had pressured Qatar not to release $6 billion uh, that is due to Iran in relation to potentially supporting uh, uh, Hamas with its attacks. And she wouldn't be drawn specifically if the U.S. was involved on that, but said that absolutely no funding in any short term would be released to Iran. It's not quite her brief, of course, to go broader than that, uh, but it was quite a clear hint that, that the money was not uh, being released for a specific reason. Wolf, it's really great to see you. Former Worldwide Exchange anchor, great to have you back on the show. My pleasure. All right. Our Wilfred Frost, live in Luxembourg. Thank you again. All right, coming up, a shifting sentiment around defense stocks coming off one of their best weeks of the year. The names your next guest says could have the most upside when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Defense stocks were among the big market winners last week. The iShares, U.S. Aerospace and Defense ETF, ticker symbol ITA, posting its best week of the year, up almost 4.5%. The biggest gainers were Lockheed Martin and Kratos Defense, along with Northrop Grumman, which was the best performer in the S&P 500 last week, up nearly 16%. Rising geopolitical tensions, they can increase U.S. military spending, which, of course, helps defense stocks. But there's uncertainty over whether these gains have staying power and if Congress can, can pass a budget before funding runs out one month from now. Let's talk much more about the sector with Ken Herbert, aerospace and defense analyst at RBC Capital Markets. Ken, good morning. Thank you for being here. Hey, good morning. Thank you very much. All right. Let's start with that last question first. Of course, last week we got the news of this conflict uh, between Israel and Hamas. We saw a bit of a pop when it comes to defense stocks. Is all that priced in now or do you see more gains for the sector coming up? Yeah, personally, I see more gains for the sector coming up. I think we're a couple of points I'd make. Obviously, geopolitical tensions are certainly on the rise, which tends to be certainly a tailwind for these stocks. Second point, I think we are in the very early innings. It will be a fairly significant restocking effort for a lot of components here in the United States in particular, uh, which should be also a very nice tailwind. Third, I would just say these companies have really struggled with margins over the last uh, several quarters, in fact. And if we can start to get visibility on some margin enhancement or margin improvement across the sector, that could also be a very nice tailwind for, for sentiment. All right, certainly something to watch. So tomorrow, Lockheed Martin kicks off the first of the big defense names, reporting earnings before the bell. What are you expecting? And are the numbers important or is the commentary important? Of course, when these numbers were recorded, there was not a war over in the Middle East. Um, what are you expecting from the commentary? So... You know, I'm not expecting a lot of commentary to reflect certainly the, the war in the Middle East and the recent activity, but I do expect the commentary is very important as you start to think about 2024 in particular. Now, Lockheed, you know, the first defense company out, expectations, I would argue, are relatively low considering sort of basic, basically flattish top line assumptions uh, into the quarter. 
but I think your comment's very appropriate. I think we went from, with the events in the Middle East, we went from a very laser-like focus on the third quarter and what we would start to see around top line and margins for these companies to more of a broader view. And I think that broader view, to the extent to which we start to get commentary on 2024 and beyond, will be more constructive for the sector. All right. Lockheed Martin shares up about one and a half percent right now in the pre-market. So as we broaden out, do you have a top pick in the sector? Is there a top pick that investors should look at? Yeah. So we've certainly liked L3 Harris, ticker LHX. Uh, This is a company that's become a bit of a show me stock here. The company has seen fairly significant margin compression because of supply chain, because of timing, because of a number of other issues, more short cycle levered. So we think the stock uh, trades at a bit of a discount to its peers. The whole sector sort of trading in line, even with the move last week, with its historical average relative to the market. So we are seeing some re-rating here, but we think this stock in particular has more to go. They've recently closed a very large acquisition for Aerojet Rocketdyne. Okay. Uh, they're well positioned for margin expansion, in our view. And we think they offer some of the better top line opportunities, certainly out over the next couple of years, relative to their peers. All right. Certainly something to watch right there. Again, Lockheed Martin reports before the bell tomorrow. Ken Herbert, thank you for being here. Hey, thank All you right, very much. Up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. Plus, why our next guest is big on this biopharma stock, up nearly 30 percent so far this year. We're going to give you that name coming up next when Wex comes back after this break. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with shares of Pfizer. They're under pressure ahead of the open after the company slashed its full-year sales and earnings guidance on falling COVID product demand. Pfizer's warning dragging down industry peers Moderna and Novavax. Pretty different story for shares of Lululemon. They're popping on the news. It's set to join the S&P 500 index starting on Wednesday. The stock will be replacing Activision Blizzard now that global regulators have signed off on Microsoft's $69 billion deal for that video game maker. China's central bank stepping up its efforts to boost that country's struggling economy. The People's Bank of China injecting more than $39 billion of liquidity into the financial system, raising the level of interbank liquidity by the most since late 2020. Ferrari revealing to Reuters it will accept crypto as a form of payment for its luxury vehicles here in the U.S. Company officials adding the automaker will expand to Europe following requests from customers there. And shares of Manchester United getting hit ahead of the open on reports that Qatar's Sheikh Jassim has revealed he will not improve his bid to acquire the soccer club for more than $6 billion. Billionaire Jim Ratcliffe, who offered to buy only a 25% stake in the club, he now remains the only bidder. And last but certainly not least, the Swifties, they've spoken. Taylor Swift's Eras Tour concert film pulling in at least $126 million globally in its debut weekend. That marks the biggest opening weekend for a concert film ever. And Beyonce coming up. We'll have to watch that one. All right, we have a busy week on tap for investors with a key focus on earnings. We get more big bank results with Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, and Morgan Stanley reporting. Tech also in focus with Netflix and Tesla results. Other highlights include United Airlines, Lockheed Martin, Procter & Gamble, American Airlines, and American Express. As we gear up for the trading day ahead, let's get a quick check on futures right now. We've seen all morning long, they've been solidly in the green. Taking a look, the Dow actually moving to its highest level of the morning, looking like it opened up more than 100 points higher. Again, green across the board. For much more, let's bring in Degas Wright, founder, CEO, and CIO at Decatur Capital and a CNBC contributor. Degas, good morning. It is great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. It's great to be with you. All right, so Degas, let's give us, get a sense of how you see the day ahead. Of course, we have geopolitical tensions. We have higher for longer, even though rates have eased back just a bit. 
And right now, traders are pricing in a 99% chance of no hike at the next meeting. You jumbled that, or jumble of, jumble? Jumble that all together. How does that make you think of the day ahead? Well, what it makes me think of is that we want to focus on the expectations because that's going to drive stock prices. The Fed has eased, I mean, has paused, excuse me, and that's what we would expect because all this data is coming out. You got retail sales, you got housing starts, you got jobless claims. So there's a lot of data. But however, the sticky CPI price has still is above target. So we're seeing that we're still going to need some additional hikes in the future to get that sticky CPI price down. All right. So I know you're also looking ahead at earnings. You were actually bullish on health care. Today, we're getting a warning from Pfizer. Does that change your thesis at all? It does not, because if you look at the announcement around Pfizer, it, that was tied to the COVID vaccines. If, even if you look at Abbott Labs, those companies that are tied to the vaccines around COVID have actually underperformed. We like the companies that are not focused on that, uh, such as uh, Viva Systems and Vertex, for instance. All right. So I want to talk about it. You have a couple picks for us. But first, I want to get to our mystery chart that was in the biopharma space. It's Vertex Pharmaceutical uh, trades at about 23 times forward earnings. Why are you bullish on this name right now in this current environment? The reason why we're bullish on this name is that it's the leading uh, manufacturer of the treatment for cystic fibrosis. It also has the uh, development for sickle cell treatment, diabetes, and also chronic pain. We like this because it has a top decile for future performance, also by its profitability. It has a 27% cash on return on invested capital. Right. So this is the reason why we like this particular company. Yeah, return on invested capital, something a lot more investors are paying attention to right now in this higher for longer environment. So I want to talk to you about that. How are you playing this higher for longer environment? Because your other two picks are definitely high valuation stocks. One of them is Equinix, uh, forward P.E. of 84 times, and then Viva that you just mentioned, 43 times forward earnings. Give us a sense. How do you see these, this higher rate environment, and how are you valuing stocks with this high of a valuation right now as wise picks for right now? The things that we're going to focus on is expectations of earnings and revenue and also profitability. If you look at Viva Systems, it is focused on providing the cloud-based software solutions for the life science industry uh, to do both development phase and commercialization of drugs and, and the medical products. So we want to focus on their profitability. It has a profitability cash return on invested capital of 23%. Okay. It also has top deaths out expectations. All right. Degas Wright, always great to have you here. We're going to have to leave the conversation there. Thank you again. Quick look at futures before we let you go. As we mentioned, futures are moving higher during the show. It looks like right now the Dow would open up about 100 or so points higher. Uh, the S&P up about a quarter of a percent higher. The Nasdaq up fractionally. I also want to take a quick look at oil this morning. Taking a look, as always, we begin with WTI. That is the U.S. benchmark right now. Actually moving to positive at 87.78 a barrel up fractionally right now. Brent crude still down fractionally. Natural gas taking a tumble this morning, down almost 3%. That's going to do it for us. we got Squawk Box coming up next. Thank you for watching.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.